Good morning and greetings in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Appreciated the things that have been shared so far today. Thank you to each of you for your contribution to the service. I um, think it'll tie in a little bit with uh, the devotional and uh, the thought about uh, and the little and the scripture there about uh, the giants in the land and and uh, Caleb and Joshua and their faith. Hope to tie that in a little as we go, maybe. <clears throat> Perhaps before we begin the message, maybe we could pray together. If you're able, stand with me and let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus this morning. We're so thankful that you are Lord of all. Even as that song that we were just singing, your master of ocean of depth, of skies, your master, your master of all. Thank you. Thank you for that confidence that we have, are able to have in you. You've been a faithful God to the many generations of those who have chosen to believe and trust you. Thank you that we have the scriptures before us and uh, we can read of those who went before We can read of their successes and failures in trusting, in believing, in following you. We can read of how you showed yourself strong in behalf of those who loved you. We read of your mercy, your care, being quick to forgive and to give assistance to Amend our ways, Lord, when we acknowledge our sin and failure, Father. Thank you for that. Thank you, Father, that uh, you've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And even here today, as we are a small representation of believers in Christ on planet Earth in 2021, Father, you saw this day before we ever got here, and uh, you see the future that still lies ahead. And Father, today, as we now dedicate this hour to again looking into the scriptures and uh, allowing our hearts to be uh, challenged by the word of God, and, and Lord, desiring even more than challenge, but change, God bless us this hour. <clears throat> Pour out your spirit upon us. Give, Father, words to express the truths that uh, I've been pondering, that uh, I've been meditating upon, that uh, I desire to convey here this morning with the help of your spirit. So, Lord, bless us. Bless each one present here. Bless those who are not with us. Perhaps there's some who would have had a desire, but for whatever reason aren't able. Lord, we ask your blessing of grace, mercy, and peace in their lives also. 
And also a blessing on those in Tanzania, our loved ones who are serving you there in the many opportunities that are before them. Continue to be with them, sustain them, strengthen them, encourage their hearts, and give them peace in the various uh, challenges that they may face. So again, Father, we commit our time to you. Be with us and keep us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. I don't know if you'll remember, but we actually ended in Hebrews chapter 11 a couple weeks ago when I last preached. Um, So today we'd like to pick up again and... uh, The messages aren't necessarily tied together. I only used uh, Moses as a as a uh, kind of a yeah an example in the last message in wrapping it up and concluding it. And uh, today we're going to look a bit more directly at uh, some things about Moses here and uh, talk about what faith. What faith is and what faith looks like in real life. Uh, We are all familiar with uh, Hebrews 11 being what we refer to as a faith chapter. And as I was studying this, I also just uh, remembered and noticed uh, that I have uh, marked... At the top of Hebrews 11, I have uh, penned in the faith chapter. The top of Hebrews 12, I have penned in the hope chapter. And the top of Hebrews 13, I have penned in the love chapter. So I was reminded of that. Thought I'd pass that little thing on to you. That was actually passed on to me a couple years ago by a dear Christian brother, not part of this congregation. But uh, was here for a service, and for some reason we must have been in Hebrews 11, and uh, he pointed that out to me. Uh, appreciated that. All right, Hebrews 11:24 to 27. We'll begin there. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. <clears throat> now this uh, this little portion that we read, just a small portion out of Hebrews 11, starts off by faith, and uh, we find that phrase multiple times in Hebrews 11, by faith, so-and-so, by faith, by faith Jacob, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph, by faith Moses, uh, just repeatedly. We find that phrase, uh, faith, 
a statement that is made multiple times in Hebrews 11. You know, Jesus spoke of faith, uh, and the New Testament actually speaks of faith quite a bit. Jesus spoke of faith, and in his uh, various comments about faith, we find a number of statements. Just I just picked them out. He told some people that they had a little faith. In other words, they had a small faith. Oh, ye of little faith. He talked to, to some individuals and, and commended them for their great faith. I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. That's quite a comparison. That's, that's the little faith and the great faith. That's the two opposite ends of the spectrum, perhaps. Uh, various times Jesus made the comment about according to your faith or thy faith. Or in one place he's, he, he says, it says, seeing their faith. And uh, continues with what he, uh, uh, it, it generated a response from our Lord, seeing their faith. And that's when he stuck his neck out. Remember that? Seeing their faith. Uh, he said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Put his neck in the chopping block, didn't he? They immediately reacted. Who is this? Forgives sins. But he saw their faith, and so he decided, hey, they can handle this. Anyway, he talked about faith as a grain of mustard seed. Uh, just a small beginning, and then it grows up into a great big tree. Great big bush. Stephen, it said of him that he was full of faith. So I, I, I share those various comments about faith. You know, the scripture, scripture speaks of faith and it, it comes at faith from a whole variety of perspectives. It comes from here and there and this way and that way. A great faith, a little faith, a full of faith. A, uh, yeah. And, of course, we have the great Hebrew, uh, chapter of Hebrews 11, By Faith. Today, I've chosen to title the message, A Mature Faith. A Mature Faith. Um, I thought it fit well the truth that I'd like to try to convey this morning. A Mature Faith. It'll kind of all come together at the end of the message. So I'd like to begin this morning and ask the question, what is faith? What exactly is it? You know, we talk about it. We use the, the word a lot. It's used a lot in the New Testament. What is it? What is faith? I'm going to try to give definition to that. Um, this is one of these messages where I struggled. <laughs> I struggled because I, I was seeing this thing, this truth that I wanted to convey. But I felt a bit helpless to know how to convey it. It felt just out of reach almost, out of how do I do it? How do I, 
how, how, yeah, there's this thing going on in my, in my mind and in my heart, and I'm, I'm uh, wrestling with how do I convey this truth. So, uh, going to put forth my best effort with the Lord's help, and you can pray that the Lord would give His grace for that end. What is faith? The Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, just back a little bit, it says that um, without faith it is impossible to please Him. Uh, maybe to just get a more context to that verse, it's speaking of Enoch in verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So here we had a, an individual who had the testimony that he pleased God. And then the writer goes on to say, but without faith it is impossible to please God. So if it is impossible to please God without faith, then we certainly want to be sure that we understand something about faith and have some of its, at least a measure of its reality in our hearts and lives and experience. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. The verse continues that he that cometh to God must believe that he is, must believe that God exists, first of all, and then secondly, and that he, God, is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So those are the two uh, prerequisites for uh Coming to God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when we talk about faith, and here it's important that we uh, think about the, or that I, I make note of this, as I talk about faith, if I don't mention it, in general, I'm talking about faith toward God. Faith as it relates to God. You know, there's other kinds of uh, measures or, or uh, exercises of faith. In other words, everyone um, have uh, some measure of faith of some sort. You know, even the unbelieving world, they have some measure of some faith in something of some sort. But when I'm talking about faith, I'm talking about faith in God uh, as, and faith as it relates to God. Uh, so, um, in verse 27 of this scripture that we had read, Hebrews 11, It tells us that uh, Moses, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Um, did Moses believe that God existed? I think we all would agree 
it's obvious by the testimony of Moses' life and by what is written here that Moses believed that God existed as seeing him who is invisible. When, uh, when Moses uh, forsook Egypt, had he ever seen God up to that point, you know, as a person? He did later to some measure. Uh, in fact, he, he saw more of God than any other living human being besides Jesus, I believe, ever did. Uh, but had he seen him before that? We're, we're, we have no indication that he did. But with the eyes of his heart, he did see him. He, he, he had faith that God existed. And as we look at verse 24 to 26, we can ask the question, Did Moses believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Just think about that. Uh, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. That's a, a lengthy way of saying that God is a rewarder of all those who diligently seek him. That's what those verses are saying in a lengthy way. Uh, Moses believed that. Um, that uh, the reproach of Christ was of greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. And I, I recently listened to a message by John D. Martin on the life of Moses. And if you want an interesting message, you can also, I, I'll recommend it. It's found on uh, Burn, Indiana, Burn Christian Fellowship's website back in about September, uh, back there somewhere, I'm not sure of the date. But it's on uh, Moses, God's nation builder is the title. Moses, God's nation builder. And he talks about uh, this very scripture some. But Moses here, when it says that when he was come to years, that actually means when he was come to greatness. Moses was being groomed to be somebody... Uh, Close that curtain there just a little. That's glaring. When Moses uh, Moses was being groomed, they tell us, to be the next uh, pharaoh in Egypt. Egypt was the power of the world at that uh, time. That's good. And Moses was being groomed to be the next top man on planet Earth. And he had everything at his disposal that there was to have to mankind when it comes to popularity, pump, and, and power, and, and show. And he had it coming. And when he came to that point of greatness, and it was before him, He made these decisions that we see right here in these scriptures. He made these decisions that uh, we read about here.
So faith in God, faith as it relates to God, must first of all believe that God exists, and secondly that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And the uh, let me let's let's go one more step further with that. Um, one more aspect about faith toward God is that faith toward God believes the Word of God and the promises of God. And let's just look at uh, verse 13 of Hebrews 11, and then also verse 39 and verse 40. And I think maybe I'll read verse 39 and verse 40 first. You know, we have here at the end of Hebrews 11, it talks about people that uh, endured all sorts of things, tortures, Trials, stonings, uh, they wandered in caves and dens and uh, in mountains, as it says here in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. And verse 39, it says this, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. So here we have some folks that uh, were making some extremely uh, cross-bearing decisions based on a promise that was not yet realized in their, in fact, was never realized in their actual lifetime. That's faith. Uh, We're still trying to define faith. So these people, they, they obtained a good report through faith, but received not the promise. Go back to verse 13 of Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Uh, so these here in verse uh, 13 says the same thing. Here's a group of people. There was some promises that they believed and ordered their lives by, but in their lifetime never uh, uh, saw the fruition of that promise. But they lived as though it was reality right now. <laughs> That's faith. That's the definition of faith uh, in action. So faith, uh, and what we want to, what I'm want to get to here is faith has a lot to uh, is defined a lot by belief. Belief is what defines uh, a lot uh, faith quite a bit. What you believe. Uh, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he exists. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and must believe that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I think we're persuaded that Moses believed that. He believed that God existed. He believed that God, uh, God was a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. 
And uh, these folks also believed that the promises that God had given were yea and amen. They were true and they would happen. And they lived their lives according to the promise, even though the promise had not yet been uh, they never saw the reality or the uh, fulfillment of that promise. And I think in uh, verse 13, it has uh, promises in verse uh, 39. It just has promise. I think the large. okay, And then in in uh, in Hebrews in verse 26, it says that Moses esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. Where does that come in? Christ, when Moses was in Egypt, where did he get that? Where did he get that concept? I believe it was the promise of the Messiah that these people uh, were looking to and knowing that God was going to do it. And they lived looking forward just as earnestly and as fervently as we now live looking back to the Christ who hung at Calvary. They did it from that side, looking forward, and we're doing it from the other side, looking back to the Christ who gave his life. And that's how they uh, lived uh, their lives. So the uh, faith has a lot to do with what I, you and I believe. Uh, that's a large portion of what faith is. What you and I believe to be true. What you and I believe to be reality. See, Moses, Moses stood at a place where he had before him everything that the world could offer a man. It was all right before him, waiting for him to take it, to move on into it. He also, however and whatever, his mother had taught him some, I don't know how much he looked out across the fields and saw the Hebrew people working and toiling and slaving. I don't know how much he interacted. We don't know, but we know enough to know that Moses had a clear picture of both. Somehow, in that situation, uh, God made certain that Moses had a clear picture of both. And uh, his belief, his belief was that, uh, uh, that r- truth, that which is reality, is the things of God, not the things of the world. The things of the world promised uh, a lot of uh, whatever, but he recognized that that was not truth. That was not reality. That was not lasting. That was not uh, to be depended on. On the other hand, when it comes to God, he recognized that there is truth. There is reality. And you can build your life on it. You can trust the living God and the things that He says. And you can, you can, uh, 
you can uh, stake your life on it and you won't be disappointed. And that's what Moses believed. Uh, That's what... uh, That's what uh, gripped his life and his heart. So faith, uh, uh, trying to give some definition to faith. Faith has largely... has a lot to do with what we believe. And what we believe is truth and reality. You know, we today, uh, we still face that, that very choice many, many times in life. We face, uh, we face bubbles. <laughs> You know, things that promise pleasure, things that promise joy, things that promise fulfillment. But we have to be discerning. Because the things of this world, the visible and the tangible, are only temporal. And they only last for a short time. The invisible, as seeing him who is invisible... The things of God, the things of faith in God, the things of walking with God are eternal. And we have to make, uh, we face those decisions even in our own experience many times. So, faith. Faith has a lot to do with what we believe about God, about what is truth, and what is reality. Now, can you, uh, and let's, uh, let's, we'll just move on now uh, and talk a little bit about faith in action. Can you believe something and not act upon it? You know, you actually can. I think a lot of people actually do. And I think you'd be a little bit startled if you actually stopped and thought about it and realized how many times you and I actually do the same thing. We believe something. You know, we believe a lot of things. I know that we believe the things we read in the Scripture, the many promises, the many guidances the, uh, that God gives us and the, the many instructions and uh, we believe them. I, I, we're a Bible-believing people. But do we always act on all of them? Do we always act out? Do we always walk out? You know, we, we don't. You know, in a Hebrews 11 kind of faith... Uh, There's, there's, there's action. In, uh, in verse 13 here, again, verse 13, uh, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. You know, they, uh, like I said, they, 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 they heard the promise of God. They knew the promise of God. It, they believed the promise of God. It was out there in distant future somewhere. And, uh, and they believed it. 
And the next verse says that they, uh, or the next word, next phrase there says that they were persuaded of them. And uh, just borrowing from John D's uh, comments on that, they, that is speaking of conviction. Uh, they were persuaded. It's like uh, what they saw gripped them. It was. It became a conviction to them. It was something they built their life on. And then it goes on and says that they embraced them, and that's action. They saw it. They, they you know, they they uh, understood it from God's word. Uh, however, God communicated it to them in that time. They believed it. It gripped their lives, and they built their life upon it. They it moved them to action, and that's why we have the testimony of these uh, many lives that it tells us they live by, they, uh, by faith, <clears throat> because they believed what uh, God had said. So we, we, we clearly, we can clearly see that uh, when, it, when the scripture says here by faith, uh, it wasn't, that faith wasn't just uh, some mystical thing in the lives of these people. Uh, it wasn't just some uh, mystical influence that kind of drove them. It began, first of all, with what they believed as it relates to life and reality and truth and God. And then that belief moved them. That belief gripped them. So much so that they ordered their lives by that belief, by that truth, by that reality. That they understood, even though, as we said, it was not yet realized, but they built on the promise of God. And that's how these uh, Hebrews 11 people uh, demonstrated uh, by their lives these powerful testimonies, including Moses here, and making those astounding choices of choosing to suffer and a low road, and a being a nobody, when he would have had the opportunity to be the top of the world, known world at that time. <clears throat> so that's that's uh, that's kind of a quick summary of of faith as we. Uh, see it here in the life of Moses and, and it's demonstrated the same way in the rest of these examples that are given here 
uh, it's a summary of how it worked itself out in their lives and in their experience. And we see the, the, uh, the, the powerful testimony that their lives left behind because of it. Now, today, we're here. We're the ones in the arena of life. We're the ones who are uh, in the places of opportunity today. Are there more by faith being written in our experiences, in our journey? Are we writing by faith testimonies? How does it affect us? How, what would it look like in our life experience and journey? What would a by faith look like in today's world? like to try to see if we can make it practical. We're going to zero in on one basic point and, and view it from a few angles. So I'd like us to turn to Matthew 5. going to read one verse, and that's verse 8. Matthew 5, verse 8. Scripture says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, can we put that verse under here? I'll just put the reference there. Matthew 5, 8. Do we believe that verse? How much do we believe that verse? If we believe that verse, how should it affect our lives? Should there be any by faith being written about your life and my life based on just that one verse? Now, the scripture has a ton of verses. I say a ton of verses. I'm simply saying there's a lot of scriptural instruction in the Bible. And we could put any scriptural in, uh, verse, instruction, guidance, whatever. We could put any of them right here and ask us those same questions. Um, are there by faiths being written in our journey? in our experience that are based on this verse, have we, do we, like those, like Moses, do we and others who, who uh, uh, they, they saw the promises, they knew of the promises of God, they saw them afar off, they were not yet realized. You know, can we look at a verse uh, even in our own life and maybe we're not realizing the purity of heart that we would wish for and believe that is available to us 
but believe that verse and believe its reality and aspire to uh, experience its fullness in our own life and journey. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, the challenge to, as we look at the Word of God, to believe what we read, to believe what God says, and to uh, order our lives accordingly. And that's some of what we're going to talk about shortly. There's a few other verses that would uh, add to this thought a bit. Uh, Hebrews, or excuse me, 1 Peter 1.15 says this, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now that's uh, another verse that kind of describes the same thing a little bit. You know, holiness and purity. They kind of go hand in hand. Uh, just using different words. Hebrews 12.14 says this, Follow peace and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Okay, so now there we have it coming from the opposite direction. Uh, Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, this other verse, uh, Hebrews 12.14 says, uh, that we should follow peace and holiness without which no man shall see God. So, the one verse promises that we'll see God. The other verse says if it's absent in your life, you won't see God. Uh, so, those are, those are a few verses that uh, speak to us uh, in our journey. And so... I'd like to try to process and think our way through this verse a little bit from a Hebrews 11 faith perspective. The way they looked at the promises of God and the way they responded to them. First of all, do we believe this truth? Do we believe that there is a blessing to the person who pursues and is pure in heart? Do we believe there's a blessing there? Presently. And then it goes on and says, for they shall see God. And that, uh, I think that can, that can speak of our hearts being opened to God even further. You know, it's out of a pure heart that we understand God, but I also believe it has a future fulfillment of where we actually see God. Uh, can have both, I, I would, I uh, would uh, believe. Do we believe this truth? Does this truth grip our soul? In other words, does this truth move you to do certain things in your life in order to aspire to its reality? See, in Hebrews, these people believed some things about God and about truth and they they made specific moves in their life based on that belief. Are we making specific moves in our life based on a key verse like this one? Matthew 5.8 Does it grip our soul? 
and move us in aspiration to make decisions that lead us into, into that reality. It has a personal, very personal uh, context for us each individually. But I think we can also look at it more on a, uh, also, we can also, that's one aspect, but I would like to also spend a little bit of time looking at it on a corporate level, a brotherhood level, uh, and think about it from that perspective. Blessed are the pure in heart. So let's think about uh, working out this verse uh, in a brotherhood context for a bit. That does not uh, in at all um, diminish the personal context. Not at all. Every one of us have our own personal uh, context to relate to a truth like that in the Bible to... Uh, pursue it, to embrace it, to order our lives by it, and to aspire to its realities. But I'd like to, for us to think about it in a uh, brotherhood context just for a little bit. Because it does have application. And I'm going to You know, we all, with I believe without uh, uh, any argument, we all recognize that the Internet and the devices that we have and use can be, note that, can be a gateway to every sort of defilement imaginable. We believe that. I think we know that. They can be a gateway to every belief or every uh, defilement that is imaginable. And the other thing that I thought about as I was preparing, you know, all that defilement, all that iniquity that is being promoted, whether it is electronically or by book or by whatever, by whatever, by whatever, every ounce of that iniquity has its, has its moorings and its promotion coming from somebody's heart. Some individual with a defiled heart coughed up that stuff. We are called to something very, very different. Blessed are the pure in heart. That iniquity and that, uh, that abominable stuff that is fed into culture and into society, it didn't just happen. It came from the imaginations of wicked, wickedness in the heart of men. So remember that. Uh, but anyway, going back to our uh, where we're going with this. So we all recognize that 
the internet and the devices that we use can be a gateway to every sort of defilement imaginable. Therefore, because we recognize that, and because we believe Matthew 5, 8, that blessed are the pure in heart, we talk about these things as brothers and we make some specific decisions relating to the use of the internet and the devices that relate to it. We make specific uh, decisions because we believe Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart. And we are going to act upon it. We're going to write another by faith verse and maybe chapter in our journey. And so we, we look at this and we look at the, uh, we believe Matthew 5, 8 and we make some decisions. You know, we, uh, we ask that we all have content filters. Uh, we ask that we all have accountability. I'm not going to write all that down. We ask that, uh, accountability on our devices and even work at uh, some accountability platforms or uh, conversations among us. Uh, we ask that our young ones have highly restricted devices. Why? Because we, we're jealous about Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. We have asked that we don't participate in social media platforms in any active way. Again, because, and that's on a personal level, there's some room for business interactions, but we have, we have seen enough of danger that we, in a, a jealous effort for Matthew 5, 8, have have given guidance to the use of these kinds of things. Now, the question is, how do you and I as individuals relate to this guidance over here? And we'll just circle that as the various uh, guidelines that are given. So, the belief is here. This is what moves us. Uh, we are persuaded. It seizes us with conviction and we move and we make decisions. So how are each of us then relating to those decisions that are made? Are we over here looking at it and saying, well, church says I can't have this or I can't have that. Uh, church made a rule against, against that. Sure don't understand why, but I sure don't see any problem with this or that. How are we relating to it? Are we seeing the rule 
and the restriction as an individual Are we seeing the rule and the restriction? Or are we seeing and believing the Word of God, the promise of God, the truth, the reality that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What is it that is What, yeah, how are we relating to it? Remember, the title is A Mature Faith. If we're only seeing the rule, only seeing the restriction, only seeing the, that the church says I can't, uh, dare I say we're really, really immature in our faith. Dare I invite us to a much, much more mature faith. Forget, I, I say forget that, I say that tongue-in-cheek. Come on over here. Take a look. Take a look at the promise of God, at the Word of God. Look at it through the eyes of a uh, Hebrews 11 individual and how they responded to what God said and how they built their life on it. Allow it to become your very conviction and it will change things completely for you allow your life to not be dictated because they said we can't but allow your life to be gripped by the principle of the scripture and make your decisions accordingly and live in in that uh, reality I'd like to invite you to that if if that's not where you're at. So that's one aspect of uh of uh faith by faith today. I remember the the story is given, and I, I don't remember exactly the context, but the story is given that a king or a princess or somebody wanted a, a stagecoach driver. And they put out the invitation for resumes, and and they tested each driver. And these drivers, they would take them on a steep mountain road with steep cliffs, and these drivers many of them in an effort to prove their great skill would take that coach and chariot and and guide the the horses right at the edge you know and extremely close to the edge and they just want to show how incredibly capable they were but then along comes one and he's cruising along this mountain path and he's staying as far away from that edge as he dare can as far as there is room to stay away he just keeps it away, and when he got back, guess what? He got the job. And that's what, what we see here in these kind of things, you know. Uh, we want a heart that is not 
looking to ride at the edge as close as we can. That's not what Matthew 5.8 is about at all. Matthew 5.8 invites us to get away from the edge with uh, purity in heart, without compromise, without uh, without trying to see how uh, close to the edge we can get. And so I, I, I like to invite us to that, to a mature faith. <clears throat> and that's what we're, uh, that's the title, a, 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 a mature faith. I like to uh, invite us uh, or uh, give our, give my attention to you as sisters a little bit. You know, there's some ways in which this, this uh, illustration I used applies to us all, but it has a greater effect on this side of the room and then on this side when it comes to uh, maintaining purity in heart. And But I would like to draw your attention to something to consider as well. In uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 9 and 10, and I'm going to read this in the ESV. It says this, Likewise also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. I have, uh, I have our confession of faith here with me. And in our uh, section 14 in Christian appearance, uh, and I noticed this as I looked at these uh, statements. Many of these statements begin with, we believe. (laughs) We believe. We believe that God, we believe and confess, many of them say, and that actually comes right out of Hebrews there pretty well. Uh, anyway, I'm not there at the moment, but we believe and confess that God gave the first durable clothing. So we seek guidance from God and his word on the subject goes on, gives a number of points at the end. It sums it up with this. As we choose godly clothing, we need to ask, number one, is it durable? Number two, does it hide my body well? Number three, is it economical? And number four, does it appear neat and simple? That's uh, that's those four phrases actually sum it up in a in a, in a nutshell when it comes to uh, uh, godly modesty and appearance. <clears throat> you know, when it comes to those subjects. Uh, we also give some guidance relating your attire as sisters. What is the biblical truth at the bottom of those kind of guidelines? Isn't it this verse again? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I mean, there'd be a lot of other verses that we could put there. But isn't that really getting us pretty close to the bottom of the burden for modesty 
in your lives, especially as ladies. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And uh, I guess I just simply have to go right back to the same question that we had here. You know, there's some some guidelines given and some we have a I don't have it with me, but we have a, a couple pages, a few pages of some practical instruction on a few things. And we state a few things that we want to see in modesty. And I'd like to bring us back here again to the very same questions. How do you relate to that? What do you see? Do you see rules? Do you see church regulations? Do you see, I have to. This is what they want me to do. Uh, is that what you see? Or can I, can I invite you past all of that and back to the faith chapter again? Can I invite you to a mature faith that doesn't park at the church standards, the church rules, the church guidelines, whatever you want to call them, that doesn't park there, that doesn't chafe because they're there, that doesn't resist Or even that isn't indifferent. But can I call you past that to hear? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What would a Hebrews 11 faith look like? How would it respond? How would those folks respond to this uh, verse? If they lived it out in their context, the way they believed the scriptures the way they embraced them and the way they made the uh, choices uh, based on that belief. What should it look like in our uh, uh, world today? Um, I think, personally, I think the greatest motivation that any of you should have for modesty is simply the fact that you do not want to cause anyone a temptation to impurity. And so, uh, let that be your, uh, own, own that verse, own that burden. Uh, that is a, that is a, uh, a kingdom verse. It's a kingdom burden, uh, purity of heart, that we can all maintain purity, uh, together. And so I want to, uh, encourage you, uh, the same way I, uh, talked about the, uh, how we guide our use of technology for safety. I want to encourage you with that same heart to to step uh, beyond, to step beyond the faith, the the rule, and the guideline, and to embrace the promise of God, to embrace the truth of God's word to let it let it uh, seize your heart and to engage everything in your power 
to uh, see to to do what you can from your perspective that this verse can be realized in the lives of the people in your life and in the lives of those who interact and relate with you. So those are the only two specific applications that I'm going to make today. I thought about uh, one other one just briefly. And that is uh, the whole truth of... uh, uh, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. And, you know, you could, you could, you could take a verse like that and begin to ponder it in light of, uh, of Hebrews 11, you know, and that kind of faith. And how would they respond to that? And how does that look in, in, uh, uh, and, and I, I'm not gonna unpack that one. I, I, in fact, I didn't unpack it in my studies. It just, I thought of different, uh, verses that, uh, and concepts that we could, we could uh, work on and think about and uh, and consider how uh, how it should uh, if we were like Moses and and we made decisions like Moses made decisions. How would we take that truth and how would our decisions look if we made them with the same kind of heart that Moses made decisions with? Now I'd like to conclude. And wrap it up here. Um, I'm going to mention a book that I read recently. And there's a few of you who are going to uh, recognize this book. Um, But there's a a concept that I want to just have us think about a little bit. It's... I don't know if, I, I won't say it's a, a well, you, you think about it. I'll, I'll, I'll present it. So there's a book that I read recently. I've been still in the process of reading, actually. It's called Two Second, Two Second Waste, I believe is what it's called. I, I think I got that right. Anyway, the, uh, the concept that the writer presents is a business concept. And his his uh, objective is, and particularly he's in manufacturing. There's other. Uh, it obviously would have its uh, effects in different ways in different places. But his objective is to examine every process in a uh, manufacturing environment, every process, every step, every detail, and examine it for wasted energy, wasted time. Wasted steps, wasted maneuver maneuvers, and remove all waste. All waste. He wants all waste out. I got to thinking about it in light of what we've just been talking about here. What would it look like if we were to actually examine our lives in that kind of a light? If we were to examine our lives how we relate to Bible truths. Let's just use this example. Let's suppose that you're sitting here and you're chafing over 
the, I'm going to use this one here. Let's suppose that you're chafing over the guideline that we are not to be actively on social media platforms. Let's suppose you are chafing under that one. Well, let's suppose that you, in conversation, you share some of that struggle and some of that begrudging feelings that are going on in your heart with someone else in the church. And then that uh, someone else, that kind of stimulates their begrudging feelings about that decision too. And you see what's happening? We've got something going on that is counterproductive. That something is being counterproductive. It is not building the kingdom. It is not building this local body in a positive way. It's in fact eroding it. Let's suppose we call those kinds of things waste. Wasted energy. Wasted words. Words that did not build, but rather eroded. Words that did not strengthen the infrastructure of the church, but rather eroded it. Let's suppose we started combing through our lives from that perspective and started asking ourselves, okay, where is there waste in my heart? Where I am taking a truth of God's word and I'm not appreciating it, I'm not uh, engaging myself to embrace it with everything I've got. And therefore, there's waste in my experience in that area. And suppose we examined our hearts in just many, many different aspects and just asked the question, okay, how, how does it look here? Uh, is there waste? Are there things that are negative? Are there responses that I'm giving that are negative? You, you, you look at your marriage that way. Are there things that I'm doing that are negative in this relationship? That rather than building it and nurturing it, are actually eroding it. And we called those things waste. And decided that we need to get rid of all waste. Think about it. What would it look like? What would a church look like? If we actually could all, with enthusiasm and engage our hearts in the many promises of God, the many instructions of God, the many things uh, that we believe and profess, and could engage our hearts wholeheartedly and get rid of the, the waste and the, and the negative thoughts and the negative feelings about this or that and, and engage in the Word of God and the principles and 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 seek for their reality in our experience, what would that look like? What, what, uh, what for impact would uh, a congregation have in that, uh, in that state? So, a mature faith. I'm not sure where... You would say you find yourself, but I just want to challenge us and invite us 
to higher ground in this matter of a mature faith. We are all in different places in our journey of faith. And there's never such a thing as arriving. You know, we cannot say, you know, I've arrived. But there is such a thing as aspiring to higher ground for every one of us. And I, w- I want to today. I want to. I hope this whole thing made sense enough that you could catch it, uh, at least a measure of it. That uh, to move, to move from a carelessness, uh, a begrudging about things in, in church life and church experience and, and personal life and whatever, you know, move, move from that to understanding the, the uh, truth of God, realizing it in your own heart, owning it in your own heart, and engaging with everything you have uh, to to see its uh, reality in your life and in 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 our lives together corporately and and uh, yeah just moving moving on to a uh, mature faith that is all that I have this morning I think we will kneel together and we will close with prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we come to close of this service, this message, and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I pray, Lord, that uh, that something could have been here for everyone. Uh, that is that is the most important, Lord, that someone could that everyone could grasp something, something that will be a stepping stone in their journey, something that will uh, shed light on their pathway. So, Father, I pray for that and pray, Father, that uh, in uh, my own experience that I could uh, embrace these uh, realities. And, be, and like Moses, to, to see, to understand truth and then to live a, a life accordingly. So, Father, help us. Again, thank you. Thank you for the freedom to gather Pray for our governments and their continued uh, leadership of our country. Lord, if it be according to your will, we would certainly enjoy the freedom to continue gathering in worship services undisturbed, unhindered, able to preach the word. Father, we pray you would guide those in governments. Lord, we pray for uh, they're hurting in our world, and we know there are many. Pray that you, in your great wisdom, would minister to the needs of humanity. And Father, pray that uh, you would continue to guide, bless, and direct our lives, each of us individually and then corporately, that we would uh, be able to show forth your praises to a uh, a lost and dying world around us. Bless us to that end, Father, that uh, we could touch someone's life day by day and and make a difference. So, Father, again, thank you. Thank you for your grace and mercy uh, extended toward us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>